Open up your Bibles now to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. Luke. Luke the author. Luke the historian. Luke the Greek. Luke the doctor. Luke the disciple. The apostle. The missionary. Luke the prisoner. Luke. Luke. Luke who wrote the gospel of Luke for this reason. That we would know for certain of the things we've been instructed about Jesus Christ. That we wouldn't have questions in our mind, but instead we would have direction for our steps. I'm so glad you're here today to get into God's word because, man, the stuff that Luke records for you and I illustrate the principles throughout the scriptures of who our God is. It's so important that you know who God is. It's so important that you understand his character and his attributes and what he's doing, even right now in your life. Most of you are self-interested and self-concerned and self-reliant and self-aware and self-self and selfish and all messed up, right? You, when you wake up, I'm going to guess, the first person you think of is yourself, you know? How did I sleep? I didn't sleep at all. I wish I could still sleep. I'm going back to sleep, you know? You think about yourself, or what am I going to eat? Where, who's going to serve me? Where, whatever. It's just our messed up predisposition. It's our programming. We just think about ourselves. So when Luke wrote his gospel, he didn't even name it after himself. They named it after him later. His whole writing, his whole narrative is to detail the story that is for God's glory, the way God does things, how God works, in order that you and I would be encouraged today. So when he starts this story, we stuck on this last week quite a bit, and I want to start where we left off. The story that we left off with is in Nazareth. We left off talking to Mary in Nazareth, who would have the baby in her belly conceived miraculously that would become Jesus, the Son of God. She would, in effect, become the mother of God. And the way God chose Nazareth, and the way God chose Joseph, and the way God chose Mary is very important for us to understand. Because if you're not careful, you'll take Nazareth and Mary and Joseph and put them on a pedestal and elevate them higher than they ought to be. But instead, we take from the scriptures, from Luke's writing in chapter 2, we see that Nathaniel, when he heard about this character from Nazareth, his response was, Is Nazareth? Can anything good come from Nazareth? Can anything come from that town that is good at all? And really, really, if you're honest and you read the scriptures... One would have to say, can anything good come from Mary? What did Mary have going for her? What did Joseph have going for her? What really did they have going for them? They lived in a small hick town, illiterate, uneducated, not wealthy, poor, uninfluential, no power, no authority. And God says, that's perfect. That's perfect right there. I love Nazareth. I love Mary. And I love Joseph. Not because of their abilities. Okay. How many of you guys think right now that God is looking for people that are super skilled, gifted, rich, famous, well-clothed, and well-spoken, and with big, long beards? <laughs> How many of you guys wrongly think that's what God... Listen, you know what the Bible teaches? The Bible teaches that God chooses the base things to confound the wise things, the weak things to confound the strong things. He chooses the smallest things. He chooses... That's his principle. He chooses the smallest things possible... In order that when he does something great and mighty, that all the praise, glory, and honor goes to him and not to me or you. Okay, that's just trippy. This is cray-cray. Because I oftentimes, most of the time, look at my own resources and my own track record and my own performance and see if I'm usable to God or not. Oh, I've been getting up early, been getting in the book, been doing my Bible burpees, you know, and I'm ready to go and I'm ready for Jesus. 
And then there's other days where, oh, man, I don't even know where my Bible is. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't even know if I'm a believer. You know, check your temperature. And, like, and the Lord, he's not looking for those who have great abilities. Matter of fact, you've heard me say it. I say it again. The ability that the Lord is looking for in all of us is availability. Not your abilities that you can do or you have done, but your availability in your soul and in your spirit. Are you making room in your thinker? Are you making room in your life, in your calendar? Are you making room just in your disposition of humility to say, yes, Lord, thy will be done like Mary said? When Mary heard the words of the angel, she didn't argue and counter and challenge. Instead, she said, behold, the maidservant of the Lord. May it be done to me as you have said. What? I'm going to serve this purpose. I'm going to step in. I'm nobody. Barefoot Mary. Illiterate Mary. Nothing Mary. Yet the angel ended his words to her. For with God, nothing will be impossible. What? And that's when she sprang into action. Oh, not, oh, 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 oh. With God, nothing will be impossible? And here's the question. How many of you right now are factoring in God to your situation, factoring in God to your circumstance. Nathaniel, when he heard about Jesus, he asked the question, can anything good at all come from Nazareth? Seriously? It's a rhetorical question, but you understand. He's like, there's nothing ever coming good from Nazareth. Yet you factor in God and great things happen. Now, here's the point. Right now, there's people sitting here who are convinced that nothing good can come of your current marriage situation. There's nothing good from this. It's all messed up. It's all damaged. It's all broken. Right now, there's people right now who are saying, there's nothing good that can come from my financial situation. I'm stressed out. I'm about to go through bankruptcy. I'm losing it all. Just out of me. Nothing good can come from my situation. Or maybe it's your health. Maybe your health is all wrecked. Or maybe your health is good, but one day will be wrecked. And you would conclude, no, no good. Can anything good come from this at all? Here is the deal. The angel said, for with God, all things are possible. Why did he choose Mary? Was it because she was so holy and so right and so awesome? No, because with God, all things are possible. Why Nazareth? Oh, Nazareth. Well, of course he's going to choose Nazareth. No, you would never choose Nazareth unless you're God. And what you do is to illustrate a principle of God's grace, kindness, mercy, and power in spite of y'all. Don't you guys love the story of Gideon? Remember Gideon's story there in Judges chapter 6? You guys read it this morning, I'm sure. Remember, remember, okay, Gideon's story, and God approaches Gideon, Gideon, and when he sees Gideon, he says, oh, Gideon, behold, mighty man of valor. Now, what's Gideon doing at that very moment, okay? He's hiding from the enemy, making himself some toast and jam, okay? He's in there threshing wheat, making some bagels for himself, you know, freaking out like a weirdo, and God's like, oh, you're the man, you're it, and he's like, uh, maybe there's a different Gideon here? I don't know if you know I'm hiding right now, feeding myself. God says, no, it's the potential that you have, Gideon, when you give your life over to me. It's not you. You're Gideon. You're a mess. But when you surrender to me, I'm going to do crazy things. And he called Gideon. You guys know the story. He called Gideon. Gideon began to believe him. And Gideon even had such little faith. He's like, can you prove it to me? And he asked for that fleece prayer. And God proved it to him while he slept. And he woke up. And all the things he'd asked for were done. And Gideon's like, forgive me, but can you do it again? You ever done that before? Like, just a little more, God. It's kind of fun. Just need a little more help. And... Now, if I'm up in heaven, I'm like, Gideon, you know, and God throws him another bone and answers another fleece prayer. God's just like, what is this guy doing? Finally, he says, okay, 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 I'll go. 
Gideon, Gideon. So Gideon goes out to battle, and he gets ready to take on the enemy, and he's got 32,000 men in his army. What? He's ready, and God says, Gideon, you know what? I'm just going to be straight with you, bro. If you go out there with your army and win, you're going to take the credit. You're well too equipped. Why don't you go ahead and tell these homies that if there's anybody scared or anybody doesn't want to fight, they can go home. And more than half of his crew bails. He's like, anybody in here scared? Like, yeah, and they leave. And he's got half of his crew now gone. He's like, whoa, trip out. And God's like, you know what, Gideon, I'm going to be straight with you. If you take this many men and win, you're going to take the credit. Here's what I want you to do. Go to the spring and get some water. It's known as Gideon's Spring. Now, I've been there a couple times. They tell you not to drink the water now. You'll get some sort of pestilence in your body. It's not good. But they took the guys there, and he said, make your guys drink. And all the guys went and drank, thousands of them. And there were two sets of guys. One set of guys kept their swords in their hands, kneeled down, and drank like that. The other set of guys dropped their weapons and got on all fours, and drank like that. And God told Gideon, the guys that get on all fours, putting their weapons down, those guys, send them home. It's the guys that stay engaged and ready. Those guys, those are your guys. And Gideon's counting him. He's like, there's only 300 of those guys, God. There's only three. He's like, perfect. That's the number right there. So all these thousands. So now it's Gideon. It's known as Gideon is 300 men. God on purpose whittled down Gideon in his might in order that God's might would be demonstrated on his behalf. The, whole, the stories are all throughout the scriptures. God calls people, not because of how great they are, but because they make themselves simply <sighs> available. And he begins to do crazy stuff in the people, the men, the women that say, yeah, I'll avail myself to you. I don't have any great ideas. As a matter of fact, my ideas are kind of bad. I don't have anything to offer. As a matter of fact, what I offer is probably going to need to be redeemed. Remember Moses? Moses is called by God to be the deliverer of the children of Israel, millions in number. And Moses shows up to work the first day, and he's like, I don't know if I want to be here. Can I bring my brother Aaron? He's talking better than me is, you know, and he, you guys know, and he, yeah, bring Aaron. Okay, that's fine, God says. And then <sighs> Moses and God have a conversation, and God looks at Moses and says, what do you have, Moses? Like, what do you, how are we going to do this? And he's like, I got a stick. I got a stick. I'm a shepherd. I got a stick. He's like, perfect. That's all we'll need. Just that stick. Just bring that stick with you. Throw the stick down. It becomes a snake. Whoa, crazy. Take that stick and strike the rock. Water comes out. Take that stick and put it in the water, and the water separates. You think Moses was practicing when he was a youngster, separating the water when him and Aaron were taking baths together? Like, well, watch this, Aaron. I'm going to knock you out, you know? <laughs> Let me just tell you, none of that was happening, okay? Mo was a doofus, okay? Gideon was a doofus. What about Peter. Jesus called Peter. Hey, you want to be one of my 12? Yeah, I do. Okay, thank you for making me a fisher of men, redeeming me for this industry. Thank you that I can now walk with you, a rabbi, and learn something. And then eventually, you know, Peter walked on water. Do you think Peter knew how to walk on water before Christ called him, and that's why Christ called him? I'm going to need that trick, you know what I'm saying? I'm going to need that skill. Listen, Peter never walked on water prior or after. It was what God did to him. It had nothing to do with him. It's crazy town. I say all that leading into and back to our story here in Nazareth. There's nothing special about Nazareth, nothing, except that God chose to use Nazareth because he chooses to use that which has nothing special about it to make it special. And the same is true with Joseph and Mary, just people equally created like you and I with a God who makes all things and who does miracles with or without our help. But when we surrender to him and factor in Jesus, crazy things happen. Here's the deal about Jesus. It's very clear. The Bible says that apart from him, John 15, you can do no things. 
Okay? It's like taking a branch, breaking it off the tree, and expecting it to live and produce fruit. It's dead. Apart from Christ, you're doing no things. But the Bible teaches in Philippians 4.13, through Christ, I can do all things. I can do anything God wants me to do through him, through the power of God. As a matter of fact, when Molly and I were walking out into the water yesterday, she got baptized at Agate Beach, and the water was 1,000 degrees negative, okay? I'm not messing with you. I tested. I was like, whoa, 1,000 degrees below zero. We'll make it, you know? And, and as I'm walking out in the water with Molly, I'm just thinking to myself, this is so cold. But Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And if Christ hung on the cross for me and bled out, then now I can go into the water hip deep and put Molly all the way under the water. When she, it was funny, she's in the back there. When she came up out of the water, it was a real calm day, just real smooth and serene. When she came up out of the water, it was like ice, like the water just froze solid. And, and she came up out of the water, and it was so calm and smooth that I don't think she was breathing yet. And so I said, God... You got to breathe now, and the water was so... But listen, we made it, she made it, we're good. <laughs> Are you factoring in Jesus right now to your situation? That's the simple question, okay? I don't care where you're at, what you're dealing with, finances, health, disappointment, destruction, pain, sin, regret, remorse. Ah, it's just ah, it's a total loss, really. Every scripture story includes a total loss against all odds in order that God would become crowned prominent, that God would be elevated in the life of Mary and Joseph, not that they would be elevated at all, respected, appreciated, but that God would be elevated, not that Gideon would be worshipped or Peter or Mo. None. So too in your life, and here's the deal, right now, let's make it real time. I'll teach you some Bible in a minute. But in your real life, are you factoring in Jesus, or are you just throwing in the towel and giving up? I've counseled with people for 20 years now, and I've seen those who decide to put Jesus in the midst. I'm going to factor Jesus in. I can't walk on water. <laughs> but I'm going to factor Jesus in. I can't deliver the children of Israel, three and a half million in number. <laughs> There's a Red Sea right here. But I'm going to factor Jesus in. Okay? I can't lead 300 men to a victorious battle, but I'm going to factor Jesus in. And I have counseled with couples and singles and people who fail to factor Jesus in, and things do explode. Things don't go well, okay? They, they don't believe that it can be redeemed or rescued. But I've also counseled with people on the other side that say, you know what, I don't know it all, and this isn't right, and my situation's messed up, but I'm going to let Jesus take over. And I've seen healing in the eyes of men and women. As a matter of fact, just this last Friday, I think it was, I went to jail to visit I'll be honest with you. I'll tell you if it's the other way around. I went to jail to visit, and I was there with one of my friends, your friend, too. He goes to church here, and uh, he won't be going to church here for a while. Made some mistakes, got high on drugs, committed a lot of crimes. He's facing 31 counts. The interesting thing is, as he's been in there and he's sobered up now, seeing things right, he's a Christian, child of God. He said, I, I, he says, it's crazy, but it's taken this to get me and him right. And it's just crazy because we're having a, I'm actually really good with God in here. There's some guys in here, he said, that were, they love Jesus too. And we're actually really, it's, I don't know, there's, it's sweet in here. Here's the flip side for his story. He's got a family. He's not going to see his family grow up. And we cried together. I told him we'd watch after his kids, take care of his wife. They go to church here. He made some mistakes. Yet, he's still choosing. I told him this. I said, you're going to get out, just so you know. You're not going to die in there. It's just not going to happen. 
You're going to get up and live your life. It's not over. Don't believe the lies. Factor in Jesus. Do it right now, and God will birth in you. He'll conceive in you something great out of this nonsense. And unlike others I've counseled with that choose, nah, 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 there is no hope. There is no way. And they go, they go weird. And there's others who are in the midst of a difficult situation. And so I just ask you, what kind of faith do you have? Do you believe that even from Nazareth, even from jail, even from sickness or death, God will be faithful? And to see and believe that no matter what is happening or what is uncertain, that God is good and life is tough? You know that that's worship when you believe that, right? You don't even raise your hand, but is life tough? Has life been tough in the last, just, just in the last 36 hours? Doing memorials here yesterday, burying people that died early. Memorial coming up in the 26th, murder. Last night I was counseling with the person. It's not even out yet. It's a little bit out. Her grandson was murdered 36 hours ago. And I told her, your grandson's with Jesus. He is. He's with Jesus now. She said, that's the only hope I have. And when I have that hope, I'm filled with peace. I said, you realize that's worship in the midst of a situation that's not cool, not right? And you worship and you say, yeah, yeah, my situation's messed up. But I'm choosing to trust. I'm going to factor in Jesus. I'm going to factor in Jesus. And that's worship. It's worship what we just did, hands raised and praising, super fun. We'll do it again. But in life, when things hit the fan, and you make a mistake or they make a tragic error, and you choose to not go off the rails, but instead, like Mary and Joseph and Elizabeth and Zacharias, in your humility, say, your will be done. Bring it. Hey, by the way, God, I don't have a lot to offer. I got a stick. Okay? I'll do it. I'll show up. What should I do? I don't know. Even Mary, when she asked the question, well, how shall I conceive? I don't know a man. I don't have a, a, a man involved in the scenario yet. And the answer was, God, the Holy Spirit will overshadow you. God will do in you what you cannot do for yourself. And whether you're incarcerated or whether you're standing over a casket or whether you just don't know how to even process your own thoughts, whatever the case is for you, when you factor in Jesus, especially with the angelic word, the last word from the angel, for with God, nothing will be impossible. And Mary sprang into action. Oh, oh, with God? Uh, you mean it doesn't have anything to do with me? No, not really. Gideon wasn't mighty in and of himself. No, we know his story. Peter, rebuked by... Nobody in the scriptures was used because of their great abilities. As a matter of fact, you guys know Paul, the Apostle Paul. Okay, You know his real name, right? Saul, which meant requested one, which meant the head hog, big cheese, the man. And as he began to walk with Jesus, he said, let's just change my name. I don't want to be called the big hog and the head cheese. I don't want to be called that. I say head cheese, that's even worse. <laughs> I don't want to be called that. Neither do I. He said, let's change my name to Paul. From Saul to Paul. And Paul means little. Little. And when his name was changed to Paul, he began to be used at a level that makes no sense at all. At a level that only points to what God does because with God, nothing will be impossible. And I need you to look at verse 38. Have I even read any verses yet? Are you guys going to church today or what? 
Verse 38, it says, Then Mary said, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Three things she did. First of all, she committed to God's plan. Okay? She said, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord. Let it be done to me as you said. Just submitted to it. That's all it is, submitted to it. She couldn't fabricate it or make it. You know, maybe if I do some jumping jacks, I'll get that baby to conceive. You know, what, what do I do? What do I do? You just let it happen. You submit to God's will. And I would ask you this question. Have you done that today in your own life? Just submitted to God's will? Behold, your servant. Just say that to him today. Lord, here I am serving you. I don't know what to, I don't know what to do. I'm like Mo, Gideon, Peter, Paul, Mary. I'm just like all, I'm nothing. But I want you to lead my life. And I guarantee you, if today you say, Lord, lead my life, in a year from now, 10 years from now, 25 years from now, you're going to be so stoked. I guarantee you, in 20 years from now, you say today, Lord, whatever, you're going to look back and go, wow, like I had no clue, had no clue what was going to happen, but this is awesome when you just surrender to the Lord. She also accepted the road to come, okay? She knew the cost, that it would take sacrifice and compromise to let the Lord use her body in that way to produce the miracle as he did. She had to compromise her whole life and say, okay, I guess I don't get my plans. <laughs> kind of wanted to raise a family in Nazareth and not go on the radar. You knew she would have to surrender everything. She would not be married. God redeemed that and made Joseph marry. Joseph wanted to leave her right away. He's like, I'm out. She knew that. And God made sure he took care of her in that way. So too, when you give your life to the Lord and say, God, take my life, you need to understand the cost and sacrifice and compromise that it's necessary. Lastly, this is so fun for me, she immediately began the work in order to accomplish God's will. You realize that we have free will and God's sovereignty. God says he's going to do stuff and does stuff. Yet he co-ops with us and says, I need you to participate. I need you to show up. Moses, Red Sea, part it. He's like, how are we going to do that? Okay, I'll do it. You just put your stick in the water. Okay, you just do your part. You co-op with God's declaration, and the power comes out. Mary co-opted with what God said he was going to do. She had no ability to do it herself, yet she participated. And I just say Mary's awesome. Did you know that she would leave then? The next verse. Let's read the next verse. <laughs> that way we can at least get some Bible under our belt before we run out of time here. Verse 39. Now Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste to a city of Judah. Now if you read that too fast, which you've all done before, you're not going to understand what it said. Mary's talking with the angel. How old's Mary? 12? 13? 14 maybe? Super young. Okay. Does she have shoes on or no shoes on? We're going to say no shoes on, okay? Barefoot. Illiterate, uneducated, not wealthy, not prominent, poor, nothing. An angel shows up to her. She's been chosen, highly favored. Kerastao in the Greek. That's what was dropped on her head. Kerastao, Mary. There's only one other person in the entire scripture given that description. I'm going to tell you who it is in just a minute. Only, she's the first one, though. Kerastao. I don't know if that's how you say it, but anyways. Kerastao. And what did Mary do? She springs into action, and she, barefoot, maybe she borrowed a pair of shoes from her older brother, walks 100 miles to go see Elizabeth by herself, a young teenage girl. She goes to great lengths, maybe greater lengths than any of us have ever gone to, to co-op with what God said he's going to do, to test the word of the Lord, to find fellowship and community with another person. To walk and to work out the things of the Lord. Someone texted me earlier this week and said, what does it mean to work out your salvation with fear and trembling? Does that mean we have to work for our salvation? Eh, no. It means you are saved. God's word is clear and done. But we have our free will part to participate. Now I get to work this out. It's almost like if somebody gave you a gold mine. Imagine getting a gold mine. You're like, I got a gold mine. First question, you got any gold? Not yet. Get in there and get the gold. 
just having a gold mine is nothing. You want to get in there and work it out. So too, when you're saved, when God declares something over you, it's time for you then to get to work. Put your stick in the water. Do what God says to do. Mary walks a hunt. I'm so thankful for Mary. I respect her so much. Okay? Although I do want to say this. That word karistao is found in verse 28. Maybe just turn back there in your Bibles and read it with me. This is where that... That word is dropped on her head. It says, and having come in, the angel said to her, ha ha, rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you amongst women. Stop right there, eyes up here. Karistao, whoa. Highly favored, greatly graced. How could Mary do what she did? How could she have the son of God in her belly? How could this all happen? God's great grace upon a person, upon a woman. The stuff that God did through Mary is unique in nature, will never happen again. There'll only be one Mary ever, ever, ever. What God did through her was so special and so reserved just for her. But listen, it's not so much about her as much as it is about God. The story, the prominence, the preeminence, the worship goes upward, not horizontally. Karistao. Did you know that that word, highly favored, greatly graced, beloved, only comes up one other time in the scriptures to describe somebody? It's only shared with one other person. Do you know who it's shared with? Me, your pastor. Oh, wait, and you and all who are in Christ. It's in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 6. Only one other time. Paul uses it. Here's what it says. It says, to the praise of the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted in the beloved. Karistao. Oh, to the glory of God's grace by which he made us. Karistao just like Mary. He made us all just like Mary. How? In Christ. When you are in Christ, when you look at Christ as your savior, as your example, as your king, as your sacrifice, as your everything, and you put yourself in Christ, you put him in you, and you have this relationship, the Bible says, guess what? You're highly favored. Crazy town. You're on the same level as Mary. What? That's what the Bible teaches. Isn't it crazy, though? In order for Mary to be karastao, Jesus was put inside of her, in her belly, miraculously. Karistao, highly favored. And you and I get the same opportunity to become Karistao. How? By putting ourselves in Christ, putting our sins into his account and him absorbing it, paying for it like he did, and then him putting his righteousness into our account, a great exchange. And the Bible looks at people to the praise of the glory of his grace who has made us accepted in the beloved. This is what the Bible teaches, Okay. There's lots of traditions, lots of thinking, lots of opinions. Okay, I don't have time for traditions and opinions. The Bible says, so look at what you believe through God's word. And God's word teaches that God chooses the foolish, the weak, the base, the Marys, the Josephs, the Nazareths, the Peters, the Pauls, the Gideons, the Moseses, the Mees, the Us's, the Uses, in order that he might do great things through us. Now, I say that to say this, okay? On Monday, I was working out, and I was talking to one of my friends at the CrossFit gym. And she asked me, don't you think, don't you think that Mary was just a little bit special, a little bit more pure, more holy, just a little bit? Ah! It was a good question. And I took a breath and I thought, and I said, no, I don't. And you could feel the room collapse. Boom. No, I'm just kidding. But I, I, I was a good question. I was like, no, I don't. I actually don't think she was special at all, more so than who you are and I am created equal in God's image, image bearers of the most high God. What? You don't think you're special? And I said this. I said, I don't think she's special more than you or me. 
Because if that were true, it would go against all of the teachings of the scriptures about how God chooses to use men and women. It would go against all of the teachings of the scriptures of who gets the worship and who gets the praise and who gets the adoration in our lives. And it is very important that you respect Mary, okay, and place her highly favored amongst women, but not above women, just using the scriptures, using exactly what it teaches. I would say this, Mary is special, not because of who she is, okay, that would go against scripture. She is very special because of what she did. Okay, she surrendered to God's will. She let God birth in her himself. Just as you today can become very special by letting God birth in you and conceive in you his plan for your life. It wasn't so much her that was so awesome. It was what she did that makes her the most awesome woman ever to live. But you need to understand what the Bible teaches and how to approach Mary in this way. Otherwise, you'll have a misunderstanding of God. You'll have a misunderstanding of yourself. <sighs> okay, no other woman has been or ever will be used like Mary. I need to make sure you understand that. <sighs> but it's not Mary who is to be sought after or prayed to. As a matter of fact, Mary's final words ever, her final spoken adult words ever to be shared or penned or understood at all are... Listen to Jesus and do whatever he says. Mic drop. And Mary drops away. She never talks again. Just like you. And just like Mo and Pete. And Gideon would say, it's to the Lord. Listen to the Lord. You need the Lord. Behold the Lord. Paul, change his name to Little. Because I, I want to tell people about the Lord. I don't want people to look to me. Jesus is who you need. And Mary said to the servants in John chapter 2, do whatever he says. I'm done talking. Now, I need to just rip through this. I don't have time. I don't, I'm not trying here to bash at all, but I am your pastor, so I will shoot straight with you. I appreciate you shooting straight with me, too. Again, there are opinions and traditions, and there are errors of thinking amongst men and women on all sides, whether secular or spiritual, and there's a couple things I just need to clear up. There's two camps. Those that put Mary too high, don't do that, and those that put Mary too low and don't respect her, don't do that. Do what the Bible says, okay? And here's the deal. There are certain camps out there uh, that teach uh, fa fallacies and errors about Mary. There's certain ideas that Mary uh, never sinned and was sinless her entire life, okay? The Bible doesn't teach that. That's just an opinion. It's a tradition. It's a far-wanting want. Somebody wants that to be true. Other opinions that have been taught in traditions that Mary stayed a virgin the entirety of her life, that even though the Bible teaches she had Jude and James and Jesus had many sisters, that... Uh, this, when you use the Bible, you can't accept those traditions of mankind and other teachings. The Bible, um, should I say, um, tradition also uh, teaches that Mary's mother was a virgin when she was conceived as well, that this virginity was passed down and all the, And that would be awesome. Wouldn't that be more sensational? Wouldn't that be crazy? It's not what the book says. Not what the book says at all. There's um, recently, just in the last uh, century, uh, the last pope uh, was teaching that Mary is a co-redemptress, that you could actually be redeemed through Mary and praying to Mary, which is uh, just absolute heresy. I'm sorry. It's just, it's not true. It's not what the Bible teaches. And um, there's people that pray to Mary for grace and uh, full of grace. But here's the deal. She was full of grace for herself. She's not full of grace for you, okay? The charistao comes from being in Christ. It's really important. It's really a big deal. Now, let me just say this to Mary's favor. Uh, number one that I just said is don't worship Mary. But number two, what I'm going to say is be like Mary. Mary was awesome. Did you know that? Listen, young people. Do we have any young people here today? Young people? Anybody, anybody under 70? You're young? Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Mary set an adolescent precedence for commitment to Christ. 
a young woman throwing away her whole preconceived idea to serve God, keeping herself pure in order that she might be a virgin that could give birth to the Messiah. Her commitment, I would just say this, our culture doesn't have a lot of room or platforms for adolescent commitment to Christ. It's just kind of wishy-washy. Even in college years, there's no like, oh, how do I be a Christian in high school or middle school or college? It's not, it's not really clear. Mary's our example. Mary said, I don't care what people think of me. They're going to think real bad of me. She would spend the whole life, her real life, in the shadows. People making fun of her, okay, because of the way she had her story. Oh, it's a virgin baby. It's, uh, no, I didn't have relations. It just came. It's, okay, Mary, just keep telling yourself that. That's what was the talk of the town. Listen, young people and old people, let's be like Mary. Let's abstain from the things the world says that is okay. And God says, stay away from that stuff so I can use you better. She kept herself pure. Okay? And if you haven't kept yourself pure up until this point, guess what? God's forgiveness is for you. His grace is ready. Brand new start today. But I would say whether you're old or young, we gain a lot from Mary. Be like her. Abstain from what the world says is okay. And abstain from what the world says to do. She surrendered her life to God to be used and made herself available. So I'm, I'm absolutely impressed with Mary, but I need you guys to look at it through a biblical lens in order that you might uh, know the real truth of how we're to look at God, okay? It's all about God. It's not about Peter. It's not about Moses or Mary. It's about Jesus Christ. Now, if you want to respect Mary even more, let's look at verse 39. Let's see what she does. It says, Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste to the city of Judah. What? A hundred miles in distance. This girl said, I'm not going to take no for an answer. I'm not going to take anybody with me. I'm not going to wait for somebody else to catch up with me. I'm going to go do what God told me to do. And I respect her so much for this. How many excuses do you have for doing the right thing? Well... I could call them right now, but they might be taking a nap. You know, I should definitely apologize, but I don't know if they're ready for me to say sorry. I should go drive over there and see them, but it's all the way in Toledo. <laughs> we make excuses. We're professionals at it. Mary traveled a great distance to find community with Elizabeth, to find a relationship, to find an encouragement. And I would just say in our day and age, we're so prone to excuses. And here, this girl, not only did she do it to find community, but she did it to find out if it was God's word was true. The angel told her, your cousin Elizabeth, who's old and barren, has a kid. You know, that's kind of hard to believe. Let's just be honest. Is that hard to believe? You're like, whatever, angel. <laughs> okay? You would not be, mis you would, whatever. She's like, you know what? I'm going to test it. I'll go check it out. So she got on Facebook and looked her aunt up. Realized Facebook didn't exist. Oh, I got to go there. So she walked 100 miles. Don't raise your hand. How many of you, though, have challenges with what God's word teaches clearly? The clear scriptures or questions about it. And you, without investigation, dismiss what God has said. Yeah. I don't understand. It must not be true. Yeah. I don't like it. Can't be true. Yeah. 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 Listen, Mary had questions and walked 100 miles. You guys have internet, Google? You have a question about the Bible? Look it up. You know, you can type it in. Seek God's truth. Seek God's heart. We're so lazy. Not Mary. Not Mary. You want to know who God is? Okay. Find out. Seek him. You're here today. Okay. Good, good job. But keep doing. I love Mary. She wanted to know if the word of God was true and tested it. And she also, in order to accomplish God's will, I believe this was part of, I believe, because when was the baby conceived? Anybody know? 
Everyone shake your head. Everyone be, be humble, humble yourself. We don't know because it doesn't say. I like to believe that when Mary looked at the angel and said, Behold your maidservant, and may it be done to me as the word of the Lord said. In the very next day, she went on her journey. I like to believe that when she stepped out on the waters, when she stepped into God's clear directive, when she believed in that way, the baby was conceived. That when she co-opted with God, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. Boom. Okay? God said it, I don't understand it, not doing it. That's, you know, not Mary. God said it, I believe it, that settles it. So what's your excuse for not testing God's word, for not being a community, for not co-oping with God? Maybe you're like, well, I'm just, I don't know, I'm just uneducated. I don't know enough to make these things. Eh, Mary. Well, I just don't have a lot of resources. I'm just kind of poor and I don't have a, eh, Mary. Well, I'm just too young. I don't, I'm, I'm a young, eh, Mary. Well, I'm single and I, eh, Mary. Well, I'm just a, a woman. I don't, eh, Mary. We have no excuses. Well, God, eh. And whatever your excuse is, Mary puts it to rest. Why? For with God, nothing will be impossible. Where are you at today? What's going on in your life? What is God calling you to do? Who's God calling you to be? Mary is bonkers. Her availability. God told her crazy stuff. What if God told you crazy stuff through his word? I want to restore your marriage. I want to bring a revival to the coast. I want to give you gifts. I want to do signs and wonders through your life. I want to give you joy. I want to heal your hurt. Maybe it's just that simple. I want to heal your hurt. I want to remove that depression that lingers over your life. I want to set you free. And you're like, well, I just have questions. I don't know. I don't know if that's going to happen. Mary got to work. Mary believed it. God said it, and that settled it. And things began to happen. Can I just encourage you? Man, just get off that laziness. You know, whatever it is, God's word is true, just the bottom line. Your opinions are many, aren't they? Don't you have a lot of opinions? Your information that the world's given you is much. Ooh, careful. And your opinions with the world's information are at war against God's word. And what you think and how you feel. You guys got feelers? You guys feel stuff every once in a while? I, I don't feel love. Oh, oh. Sometimes I feel love. Okay, well, does your feelers decide if you're loved by God or are you loved by God all the time? When I don't feel loved by God, if I'm not careful, I'll start to act like I'm not loved by God because I follow my feelings. Don't follow your feelings, okay? Feelings are all messed up. You got to follow the truth of God's word. Mary did just that, and God honored her. For with God, nothing will be impossible. Look at verse 40. And she entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. And it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary that the babe leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Mary walks in, sees her, her cousin, Elizabeth, who has John the baptizer in her belly, six-month-old, in there, and he begins to break dance as soon as Mary walks in, and she's filled. Elizabeth is with the Holy Spirit, begins to see Mary. For the, she didn't know Mary was coming. This isn't the modern day. Okay, Mary just pops in. Elizabeth's like, what, what, what? 
And she's filled at that moment with the Holy Spirit. And Elizabeth, intuition, spiritual guidance, knows right away. She's like, what? You got one too? In her belly, you got one too? And begins to prophesy over baby Jesus. And baby Jesus is this little guy. And baby John is this little bigger guy. And they're both dancing in the womb. And man. Anyways, verse 42. That's why I don't work in the baby clinic. Yeah, you know. Then she spoke out with a loud voice. This is Elizabeth. Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. You got a baby. But why is this granted to me? She's so humble that the mother of my Lord should come to me. For indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. And she ends her exhortation to Mary this way. Blessed is she who believed. For there will be a fulfillment of these things which were told her from the Lord. And then Mary goes into her response and prophesying over what God has done in her life. This great interaction. Elizabeth and Mary, kindred spirits, relatives, yet listen, separated in age. Not only did Elizabeth have a six-month older baby in her belly, but she was dozens and dozens and dozens of years older in her life. Please listen. Why did Mary go there? It doesn't necessarily say... But I bet you it's because Mary needed to be amongst an older person in order to get encouragement and guidance. Somebody who was a little bit further down the road than her, both in pregnancy but also in life. And so she sought out an older woman. Oh, Mary, you're so legit. And when you go through something in life, it's difficult. Can I just speak to your hearts? Find somebody that's a little older than you that's been through it. Please humble yourself. And call them and meet with them and spend time with them. And even in your own person, there'll be a conception of a miracle. God will meet you as you look for fellowship with other people that have been there. Did you know that right now there's somebody sitting next to you that has gone through a messy divorce and recovered? And in the midst of your pieces you're seeking to pick up right now, they could minister to you? That right now there's somebody around you who's lost their home due to foreclosure and bankruptcy and has weathered that storm and now owns their home again right now. And you're in your situation trying to balance the books and they could minister. That's how the body of Christ works. There's somebody right now that has battled with depression and with addiction and has been set free for five years, for 10 years, for 20 years, and they're walking in freedom now. And you've been dry for 15 days and you just need someone to put their hand on you and say, it's going to be okay. And the body of Christ works that way. Earlier this week, I got a text. I can't remember what day it was on. It's from a young man, 16, 17, 18 years old. He said, hey, I'm going through a hard time. I can't sense God's presence. I don't want to pray. I don't want to read. I'm just going through a dry time. And so I texted him back. I said, come to South Beach Church right now and meet with me. And I wasn't tripping. I wasn't scared. Oh, no. Oh, no. I said, come on, hang out. We got in my office, and I just shared with him and spoke over him and laid hands on him and prayed. I've been there, man. I know how that feels. I get it. You're going to get through this. And when you, in the body of Christ, decide to present yourself to others, you receive from them their experience and wisdom. That's how it works. It takes humility on both parts. It takes availability. And I would just say this to the older generation, okay? Fill in the blank, whatever that means to you. People who've been there, done that. You might be wondering, what do I even do now? I don't, I don't really have a lot of energy. I talk to people. I don't, have, I don't want to start ministries. I don't want to go. I don't want to do anything. I'm just, I kind of want to go to heaven. You know what I'm saying? Like, can I go to heaven yet? And you're like, why am I not in heaven yet? 
I asked that about you too. No, I'm just kidding. Can I tell you why you're not in heaven yet? It's because God wants to use you as an example, as a resource, as an encouragement, as a, as a weathered, experienced, knowledgeable database of God's grace and kindness. You're big, you, you don't have to do anything. Just be you. Be a good grandpa and a good grandma, a good aunt and a good uncle. Stable, knowing God, loving people, sharing your stories with your grandbabies, sharing your stories with your kids, with your employees, sharing how God has brought you through this and brought you through that. You just get to be a sage and a witness. And here, Elizabeth is a little bit further ahead, and Mary just goes there and spends some time with her. This is how the body of Christ works. It's so good. So much value in here, okay? If you've got a pulse, you've got a purpose. I'm not messing with you. Let the Lord, and some of you are counting down the day, I just want to go home. God says, no, I want to encourage people through you. And even if you live for Christ, even after you do go home, he will continue to encourage all of us, even in your absence. Now, I want to speak a little bit about what Dr. Luke here says in verse 41. Read it with me. Put your helmet on. We're going to need this helmet. We're going to bust through a wall real quick. Some of you are going to get hurt. It's okay. Because God's word is true. He says, And it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary that the babe leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Dr. Luke, when he wrote this down, used a specific word to describe what was in Elizabeth's belly. And when he describes her belly, he says, What's in there is a baby. He says it, it's a baby. He uses this same word to describe infants, toddlers, and children throughout the scriptures. Dr. Luke was not confused, I need to say this, about what was inside Elizabeth's belly. It was indeed a baby. Now, if you were to ask a planned parented representative, what's in Elizabeth's belly at this six-month six juncture? What's in there? They would tell you it's a mass of cells and tissue. That's it. And then you could ask them this question, well, am I a mass of cells and tissue? And they'd say, well, yeah, but you have human rights now. What's the difference? Well, there is no real difference in a sane-thinking mind. There is no difference between what is in a baby's or in a mother's belly than what is right here with you today. There is no difference. But when the world is asked this question, there's some confusion, some hallucinogenic, sinful, rebellious, wrong confusion. When you, though, and this is in all things of life, Come to the scriptures to base your stance on what the world says is okay or what the world defines as right. You must take this book and put it right above your head and think and look through it, not what the world says is okay. And as far as your stance is concerned with abortion, you need to understand that biblically it is a baby every single time. There's never not a moment that it is not a baby. And if you are pro-abortion, you're pro-murder of babies okay and that's your choice but you cannot say it's not a baby you must deal with that fact that it is indeed a baby it doesn't become john the baptizer when he's born it didn't become jesus christ once he's born instead it is a baby at conception and at all times now this is a big deal and right now there's two groups squirming in here one is the group that has walked down the painful road of abortion. I talked to three women at the end of the first service. Everyone has a story. 
but God's grace is for you. God's grace flows to the lowest point. The women I talked to were young, were coerced, forced, convinced that it's okay. And they're forgiven completely, absolutely. And you know the interesting thing about abortion and its forgiveness is that not only is there forgiveness, but there's a bonus. There's actually a bonus. The bonus, the grace, the crazy grace of God is that not only are you forgiven, when you get to heaven, you get to meet your kid in all love and all grace and all kindness. No, no guilt trip, no tears, no joy. What? Yep, pure joy. Unadulterated, amazing grace. There are others who are squirming here this morning who don't want to believe what the Bible teaches so clearly about what's in the belly. And they want to make it a women's rights issue and other things and freedom and all. all it's not, it has nothing to do with it. Okay, Those are fabrications and hallucinations that have been taught and legislated and made legal in our culture. And so at that point, we, who sometimes turn our brains off, say, well, if it's legal, then it must be okay. It must be good. Did you know that there's many things that are legal in our country that are not okay? You guys know that, right? Do you guys understand? Just because it's legal does not mean that it's okay. The Bible says all things are permissible, but not all things are profitable, and I will not be brought under the power of any. It's legal to engage in prostitution in our country. It's legal to divorce your spouse. It's legal to get drunk. Legal to do drugs in certain states. There's so many things that are legal. Legal to abort your babies. It's legal. It's legal. It's advised. It's actually government supported. Yet, I just need to say this because I love you guys, and this is a big issue. You need to know what the Bible says. And by the way, all of those things I just said are legal in our country. They're going to stay legal. Abortion is going to stay legal. I'm just going to tell you. It's not going to be reversed. It just, okay? That doesn't mean you need to be misinformed or go with the masses. You need to politely say, well, no, that's just not true. It is not just a mass of cells and tissue, nor are you. Yoko Ono and John Lennon got pregnant and were advised to get an abortion. Sean Lennon is their son who was not aborted. Celine Dion uh, was almost aborted by her parents. Cher, the actress, almost lost her life before her first breath due to abortion. Pope John Paul II was almost aborted before he was born. Tim Tebow's mom was counseled heavily to abort her son. Steve Jobs, founder of Apple, was adopted because his mom decided not to murder him, but instead to birth him and give him up for adoption. Steve Jobs, I mean, just, the list goes on and on of people that you would recognize. Oh, really? You are a prime survivor of a non-aborted pregnancy and gift. You are. You're, you're, you're a blessing. Did you know that in our country, and, this, and again, I don't talk about this. I'm not a political guy. I'm not saying that we should even go out and talk about this because it's not going to stop, but you need to know the truth. That's just what I'm saying. You need to know the truth, how to spread and share grace to those who've walked down this road. There's, God's grace is more amazing than you get. It is. In our country, 3,000 abortions happen per day on average. There's only 1,440 minutes in the day, which means that every minute, two babies go to heaven before their first breath. The majority of those abortions 
the majority, the, the majority are not because of incest and rape at all. That's not the case. The majority of those abortions are out of shallow, selfish, self-interest, inconvenience, in a bad decision that has been imposed upon them. That's why it happens. It's not going to stop. It's part of our culture. It's part of the reason why we need Jesus to return. But I want you to be encouraged because there's a war going on for truth. There's a war going on for what's right and what's wrong. And the world says, well, this is legal. It's got to be right. And well, no, I'm not going to fight with you. But my opinion is biblical. Okay? And you're, okay, you're allowed to be wrong. And we can even still have fellowship and grace, but I will not be swayed into going with whatever direction legislators and states and counselors have me to believe because it's a baby. And so if you've had an abortion, you're absolutely forgiven. Your sin has been paid for in full. And if you're thinking of having an abortion or giving counsel on an abortion, don't do it. It's, it's a sin. I love the Bible. It just sets me down. It just puts me right where I belong. Anybody like being lied to? I don't. I don't want to be taught lies. I want the truth. And the truth sets people free. And the truth hurts. It's uncomfortable. The truth, the truth about you, what, what God says about sexuality and what God says about babies and what God says about races and what God says about heaven and hell and sin, what God says. I love it. But it takes some action on your part, doesn't it? It's kind of like rubbing a cat backwards. You ever done that before? You ever pet a cat backwards? Okay. You know the best way to, to make a cat feel better by petting it backwards? Turn the cat around. Okay. You turn the cat around. Keep petting, just turn that cat around. God's truth is one, it's just one way. It's just, he's not gonna, he's not gonna negotiate. Okay? That's not how truth works. That's how opinions work. And when you turn yourself around and say, all right, wow, freedom. Wow, it actually feels good. I feel like somebody, I feel I feel good now instead of being abrasively rubbed the wrong way, like our culture does against God, and when they say no to God. Matter of fact, let's just look at one more verse. Okay? I've gone over time. Sorry, not sorry. You guys are the second service. There's no third service coming until 6. I could actually preach until 5.30. No, I'm not going to do it. Don't clap like that. I'll do it. No, I won't do it. Oh my. oh, my. I'm almost done. I just want you to see this response that Mary has to the truth that Elizabeth has dropped on her. It's how we started the worship service this morning, the next two verses. And Mary said in verse 46, my soul, that is my cognitive thinking, my free will, magnifies the Lord, that is to make much of God. And my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. What? Her conclusion to the truth of God, what he was doing, your option too, your choice today is to say, you know what, I'm gonna let God be worshiped with my mind. I, he is right I am and have been wrong. Our society needs him. He doesn't need anything. And at that point, your spirit will rejoice. In my life, there are two things that take away my joy every single time. Okay? It even happened this week. Where you just walk in joylessness. Two things for me. Same for you. The two things are this. The first one is sin. When you sin, when you just do something stupid or rebellious or carnal or self, whatever, you just do something stupid, phew, joy's gone. Like, uh, where's my joy at? Uh, you know, and you know how it feels. Like, oh, uh, uh. 
The other thing that steals my joy, and yours too, is unbelief. You might not even be sinning. Nothing carnal, no rebellion, just living your life. But you're not believing the simple word of God, the clear directive and promises. And I did that this week. Found myself not full of joy. I'm doing, I haven't sinned. And, well, I'm a sinner, but I haven't really, you know what I'm saying? Why am I, where's my joy? And the Lord asked me, who, who are you trusting in right now? I'm like, well, myself, a lot. What resources are you reaching in to do what you do? Well, my, my own, a lot. How are you going to pull off this next thing, this next, how, what are you going to use to get to the next step? Me. He said, that's why you have no joy. That's why you have no joy. You can't do any of that stuff. You haven't done anything thus far. It's all been me. And I began to repent. Say, oh, Lord, my soul magnifies you. My soul and my spirit has received the rejoicing of my Savior. I'm going to have the worship team come up as we take communion. Sing a song. Come to the table. And rejoice in our Savior. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Father, in Jesus' name now, we prepare our hearts and minds to take communion to remind ourselves, Lord, that without you, we can do no things, but through you, we can do all things. That you, Lord, are so good and so able and so ready, and we are the exact opposite. We're not good, we're not able, we're not ready. And yet you call us just as we are. And all of this is done and accomplished by the cross. Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. Lord, it's not us. And for the heavy heart here this morning that has been trusting in self, Wanting to do more, wanting to be much, but failing. I pray for that person right now that they would repent and they would relent of self-trust. And they would rejoice as they magnify the Lord. And for the one who's walked in sin, their joy is gone because of bad choices, rebellion, carnality, stupid attitudes, justification of dumbness. Lord, we just say sorry, 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 Lord. Just whisper it to him if you're just a wretched sinner, all messed up this morning. Say, sorry, Lord. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Please forgive me, Lord. And we magnify you in doing so. We come to the table examining ourselves, seeing that we are in need of justification. And we proclaim your death until you return, knowing that you are victorious for our justification. We thank you, Jesus. Anoint us even as we come to the table to live our lives for your glory like Mary did. To be all in. To go to great lengths. To be used mightily to go down in history as somebody who trusted God. We thank you. We take your Bible, Lord, and we make it our book. It's our book. We don't get to tell it what to do. It tells us what to do. We thank you for that. And you've told us to come to the table often, to pray for one another, to repent, to get healing, and to worship and to gather. We're doing all that. We pray you be honored. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.